Thank you, Shelley, for uh, reading God's Word to us this morning. I want to say good morning to you all as well. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Matt, and it's great to be up here again to continue our sermon series uh, in Paul's letter that he wrote to the Philippians. As Mike mentioned, if you want to ask a question, feel free to using slido.com, and uh, at the end of the uh, service, I'll uh, answer some of those questions. A few weeks ago, we attended the presentation day at the end of the soccer season. At the presentation day, each team's uh, name would be called out, and the team would stand up, walk to the front, and stand up on the stage. And the team, along with the coach, would then have every name called out, and each uh, member of the team would receive a medal. And then one player would also receive the player's player trophy and also the coach's player of the season trophy. As this was done, the parents who were also there would applaud the team, as you would expect. When there were more people in the team, the applause was a bit louder. When there was less people, there was less applause. And this went on and on until one of the under-eight boys' teams was called out, and one boy stood up. One boy stood up, and one boy walked and stood on that stage. He was the only boy from his team who attended that presentation day. And when the parents in the room realized that he was the only one, well, the applause started, as you would imagine, and it was like no other applause. There was not a single parent, including myself, that was not cheering this one boy on. The boy stood up by himself. Not even his coach was there. And when his name was called out to receive his medal, the applause erupted again in the room. Everyone cheered for him. And then he was awarded the coach's player trophy. And the applause got even louder. This one boy had made it to the end. He received the award and nothing was going to stop him. He reached his goal, and he received his prize. And today in our passage, Paul, in verse 13, says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Could you say that this was the one thing that you do in your life? Could you say that the one thing you do consists of forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead? Do you press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, when I was sitting there at the soccer presentation, 
I did not know the circumstances around this boy's team. I don't know why he was the only one who stood up and walked to the front and stood on that stage. I don't know what he went through to get there. And I didn't have a run sheet of his soccer career to see whether he had achieved enough, whether he had played enough games, whether he had done enough to deserve the award. What he had done to get there was irrelevant to me in that moment, and it didn't seem like anyone else there cared about his previous achievements either. He had made it to the end. He received the award, and nothing stopped him from achieving it. And so as we look at this passage before us today, let's stop and pray that we too may have this mindset as we press on towards the goal that's waiting for us in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, guide us through your word. Help us to receive it and understand it today. Give us the faith we need to believe your good news and use it to glorify you as we press on having the mind of your Son, Jesus Christ, as we do so. In whose name we pray. Amen. Read with me verse 1 again. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So far in this letter to the Philippians, Paul has given them many reasons to rejoice in the Lord. In chapter 1, verse 6, Paul rejoices because he is sure of this one thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul rejoices again in chapter 1, verse 9. He says, because of their love and knowledge, they are filled with the fruit of righteousness. And in chapter 1, verse 18, Paul rejoices because Christ is being proclaimed. These are all excellent reasons to rejoice in the Lord. And Paul in chapter 2 verse 18 says, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And he challenges us again now in chapter 3 verse 1 when he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. So I want to ask you, why Don't you rejoice in the Lord? What is it that prevents you from rejoicing in the Lord? And I want to suggest that it's not because we don't know how to rejoice, but possibly because we have become too satisfied, too content, too proud, too devoted to this world. Maybe we have forgotten why we need Jesus, or maybe we don't know that we need him as our Lord and Savior. Maybe we don't see the need to rejoice in the Lord. And if this is the case for you, then you need to hear the warning found in this passage. Are we here so satisfied? in what we have in this world that we have lost our satisfaction 
for what Jesus has in store for us in heaven. Paul begins this chapter by saying, rejoice in the Lord. And literally, it means find joy in him. And so why are we searching for joy in this world? Why are we searching for joy here and now in what the world offers rather than finding joy, finding purpose, and satisfaction only in God? Paul writes in verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do we count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? He continues the same idea as he uh, continues verse 8. He says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may find, gain Christ and be found in him. Are we content to suffer the loss of all things, counting them as rubbish, in order that we might gain Christ? In verse 9, he explains, And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Are we tempted to find righteousness in what we do rather than through faith? This passage before us today asks us to consider why we are so easily satisfied here and now rather than finding joyful satisfaction in Jesus. And Paul here suggests that it is confidence in ourselves that prevents us from holding on to the satisfaction Christ offers. And it's the reason why we don't rejoice in the Lord. Look with me at verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Confidence in the flesh prevents us from finding joyful satisfaction in Jesus as we press on towards the goal. Paul explains here that there are those who want to mark their faith in Christ by what they do or do not do. People who want to add up all the good stuff that they have done in their lives, all the things that they can confidently see as something that has been of gain to them. And as they add it up, they cultivate a personal pride as a result of their accomplishments. These people glory in themselves. And Paul says, look out for these type of people. Look out for this wrong view of faith. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate 
the flesh. And those who mutilate the flesh are those who believe that circumcision is required for justification and sanctification and salvation. Now, we may not have to look out for those trying to convince us of circumcision. But we do have those trying to convince us that we need to do more than what God has done for us in Jesus. And so Paul warns us here to look out for these type of people. This warning is here because those who say, look at what I have done and follow me, look at all the good things I have done and follow my example, their faith is in what they have done. And if we are not careful, we too will fall into this trap of convincing ourselves that what we have done will help us become more righteous before God. And this will breed in our hearts the desire for satisfaction here and now rather than finding satisfaction in Jesus. And I also believe this warning is here as well, the warning to look out uh, for those who have confidence in the flesh, because Paul himself also shared in the human tendency to be proud of what he has done to be proud of his accomplishments. Paul knew that it was his own natural sinful tendency to reject the gracious gift of God through Jesus Christ's death for our sin. And he explains this in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Paul sees that there is a goal out there, this future that he has, but he knows that he has not already obtained it. And he struggles with the desire we all have to put our confidence in the flesh. And so we get from verse 4 onwards, verse 4 onwards, we get Paul's profit and loss statement. Yep, that's right. It's a profit and loss statement. Now, I was going to say this may not be as exciting as Matt Alder's warden's report <laughs> last week. But let's have a look at it starting from verse 4 onwards where we get Paul's list of reasons why he could be confident in the flesh. Read with me from verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also... If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And here's his list. Circumcision on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. On Paul's prophet and law statement, his prophet side is extensive. It is full. But in verse 7, he continues by saying, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Here Paul looks at all his gains. He looks at everything on the side of profit, and he moves them from the profit side to the loss side. He counts them all as loss in comparison to the possibility that he might gain Christ. The whole point of this is that your goal, if your goal is to know Christ, to be in Christ, if you're going to, be, to put the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as your Lord and to be found in him, everything else must be counted as loss. Everything must be moved from, from the profit column to the loss column. Paul continued to struggle with the fact that the things in his past could possibly be included as things that he could attribute to his own righteousness under the law. And he calls this a righteousness of his own, a righteousness that is from the law. That is the law that is ingrained in him from such a young age. The concept that obedience, that what he does, will be seen as a righteousness of his own. And so Paul sees himself as similar to the Pharisee that Jesus talks about in the parable in Luke 18, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee who goes up to pray at the temple and thanks God that he is not like the other men, like the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even like the tax collector beside him. And Paul himself knows that he is aware of his own human tendencies to look back at what he had done, what he had achieved, and considered them somehow a gain in righteousness. He knew how hard it was to give it all up and count every single gain as a loss. But he knew that there could not be one thing on this side of gain. On the side of profit, other than knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And so Paul also knew how hard it was going to be for this Philippian church that he was writing to. And, and I am aware of how hard it is for me to do this as well. And so I can only imagine how hard it is for you I can only imagine how hard it is to realize that we have put our confidence in the flesh rather than in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I know I too share in the human tendency to be proud of some of my accomplishments. My profit list could look something like this. First of all, I was born into a Christian family. Not only that, my parents were missionaries in Papua New Guinea for years. 
And as a family, we actually made the decision to go to Papua New Guinea. So in a way, I could say I was a missionary in Papua New Guinea for years. I have fasted in the past. I have tithed. And I've even attended quite a few of the prayer groups this month. And at times, and at times I have thanked God that I do not struggle with particular sins that I see others struggling with. But if I think that I can be made right by anything other than through the cross of Christ, that is through faith in Jesus Christ, if I believe that there is a righteousness that is my own rather than a righteousness that comes from God, then I too have confidence in the flesh. The things of this world become my confidence. My satisfaction is found here on earth. And as I do this, I gain confidence in myself and my own works. And I will find things in this world in which I will put my trust in, things that I will care more about than gaining Christ. And this is Paul's great warning to me. If you believe in something that you have done in your past that can be attributed to you as a righteousness of your own, if you are satisfied in what the world has to offer you here and now, rather than straining for what is ahead of you in Christ Jesus, if you boast in any of your achievements, your success, your promotion, your popularity, your gifts, your experiences. This warning is here for you as well. You have found satisfaction in rubbish. And the word Paul uses here for rubbish is quite literally excrement. Now you might say to me, you know what, Matt? It's not all bad. All these things that you've been talking about, they're not all bad. And that's what Paul points out as well. It's not all bad. Paul says here, whatever gain I had, he calls them all gains. Good does and can come out of our achievements. Good has come from the fact that I grew up as a missionary kid in Papua New Guinea. For example... I know that I have not had to deal with the peer pressure living in the middle of Papua New Guinea that some of you have had to deal with here in Australia. That has been good. Good has come from fasting. Good has come from attending prayer meetings. Good can come from guarding your life. But these things are all counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Read with me verse 8 and 9 again. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own 
that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What does it mean to not have a righteousness of my own from the law, but to have faith in Christ, a righteousness from God? Well, it means that our greatest concern should be God and his ultimate judgment on all things. We must understand that we have all done wrong. And according to God, anything that we have done wrong, even if we think it's harmless or insignificant, it is deserving of death. But God's gift to us in Jesus' perfect sinless life, that is his perfect record, is credited to us, to those who have faith in him. So we are declared right before God. And the good news of what Jesus achieves on the cross is that all the wrong that I have done, all the wrong that we have done, and the punishment for those wrongdoings have been paid for by Jesus on the cross. And if we have faith in this, we cannot claim it as our own. We cannot claim that anything we have done can be part of this righteousness from God. It is not a righteousness of my own. It does not come from obedience to any law. It is a righteousness that comes through faith, through believing in Jesus Christ and what he has achieved for us. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying that if you clean up your life, if you do everything that is expected of you as a Christian, if you never, never struggle with particular sins again, if you clean up your life on the outside and look as though you think you're meant to look as a Christian, if you walk the Christian walk and talk the Christian talk, but you don't get Jesus, you've lost. Don't let striving to be a perfect Christian be your goal. Let your goal, your aim, to be to gain Christ. All these other things, the good, the bad, the suffering, the things that satisfy us here and now, Paul says they are all rubbish in comparison to gaining Christ. Confidence in the flesh prevents us from finding joyful satisfaction in Jesus as we press on towards the goal. To know Christ is more important than anything here and now. Knowing Christ is more important than anything this world has to offer. So hear me clearly. Any attempt to impose requirements beyond faith in Christ for salvation is a perversion of the gospel. And this passage stands as a warning to all who think that they can be at peace with God, they can find favor with God without submitting to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, do not fall into this temptation. Do not fall into this trap. 
there cannot be anything else on the profit side of your personal profit and loss statement other than knowing Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so as Paul explains his goal to us in verse 13, let us all think this same way. We should not consider that we have made it our own, but one thing we do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, let us all press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And as we press on towards this prize, rejoice in the Lord. Now, I think it's a good idea when the Bible says to do something to actually do it. So this passage tells us to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in who he is and what he has done for you. Make rejoicing in the Lord part of your prayer life, part of your daily routine. Do it every day. Do not rejoice in your achievements, but rather rejoice in the Lord in the midst of your circumstances. Friends, rejoice in the Lord. And if you have put your confidence in anything other than the cross of Christ, if you've put your confidence in your achievements, your success, your promotions, your popularity, your gifts, your experiences, then I urge you to repent. Ask God for forgiveness and his help to change the way that you think. Hold true to what you have attained in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to hold true to what we have attained. Help us to know your Son and the power of his resurrection. Help us to be content in sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Give us the mindset we so desperately need to press on, forgetting what lies behind, and giving us the strength to strain forward to what lies ahead. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, I'm going to give you a few minutes to reflect on what was said and possibly to ask a question using slido.com. I will be back to answer uh, some of the questions after the next song.